And then I just wanted to share one verse of Scripture this morning. And I want to unpack it for a few minutes. And I want to encourage us to, since we've, we've spent the last five weeks talking about answering the what-if questions, and really the last two, answering the question of what does it look like if we actually follow Jesus, and then what would it actually look like for us practically to start doing it? And so the last two weeks, if you're brand new today, that's what we've been discussing, and that's what we've been talking about, asking ourselves that, that hard question, and then going to God for the answer to that, and, and, and looking at, at what that takes to actually follow him in this day and age, and then, and then getting ready to actually follow him. So coming out of that, I thought, I want to encourage all of us from this one passage of Scripture, from this one verse, about what it looks like on the other side of when we get ready. And what it looks like day to day, and what God desires for us day to day, moment by moment, when we actually live this life. John 10.10 says this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Let me set the context. Jesus has just healed a blind man. He has just done so in a miraculous way. There have been an incredible reaction to it, both from those who were following him and those who opposed him. In fact, when the blind man was healed, the religious leaders kicked him out of the temple. Said, oh, you can see now? Good for you. Leave. And they did that not because they wanted to punish the man. They were doing that to get at Jesus because he did not do it within the context of the law or how they thought he should. So they take the man who just received his sight for the first time and they tell him he can't worship in the temple anymore. Doesn't seem right, does it? And then they go through this discourse. Jesus gets down to the end at verse 41 of chapter 9 and says, if you were blind, you wouldn't be guilty, but you remain guilty because you claim you can see. <laughs> I mean, mic drop. He's talking to the Pharisees. He's basically saying, and all those who would, who would judge in that moment, he's basically saying that you haven't surrendered. You think you're in control. In fact, you are playing God. And although this man was blind, but now he physically sees and spiritually sees, you are not physically blind, but you are spiritually blind because you think you're in control. But you've totally missed it. So then he goes from that and transitions into this incredible teaching about being a good shepherd. And he calls himself the good shepherd. And he calls himself the gatekeeper and uses this analogy by saying that a shepherd who watches the gate makes sure that the sheep come in, but that thieves and robbers don't come in, and that those that would seek to kill the sheep and harm the sheep and steal the sheep don't come in. And that the sheep themselves know the shepherd, and they know the gatekeeper, and they know his voice, and they follow him. And Jesus like, Jesus says, that's who I am to you. I am the gatekeeper. I am the shepherd. You are to know my voice. You can trust me. You can follow me. I will keep the thieves out and the robbers out and the posers out and the fakers out. And I'll keep you from getting harmed and stolen away. And I'll keep you from getting killed. And so he's using this analogy 
to put himself in this position of authority that God has given him to say these things about their lives and therefore about our life. And he gets down into verse 10 after he says, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. So not only will, will he allow you in and out through the relationship with him and through following him because he is the good shepherd and he guides you to the right place, you will go to good places. You will find yourself working and living and doing life and having relationships and raising your family and trying to build something for yourself in a good place because he is the good shepherd. And you come and go, you have that freedom, but at the end of the day, if you surrender to him and let and follow him, oh, he'll, he'll, he'll protect you. He'll help you. And then in verse 10, he drops this out there and says, because the thief and I have two different agendas. The thief only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, as the good shepherd, as the gatekeeper, as the one who is willing and able and authoritative and has the credibility because I'm God to guide you and protect you, I come to give you an abundant life. So when you hear that word, we, we have some law enforcement officers in our church, which I'm, makes me feel very safe on a Sunday morning. It really does. There's, there's one that you can't see, and there's a couple sitting out here in the audience that you can see, and I just feel really good about being up here. And um, I feel really safe there. I'm sure, too, some of our officers that are sitting here today, that the word thief or the idea connotation of thief means something different maybe to them as it does to us uh, who are just, you know, civilians and citizens and, and, and those of us who just live in, in society and in this community. For them, obviously, uh, they are thinking not only about, about the thief, they think about how to stop the thief. And they're thinking about how to stop the thief before he gets to the place in which he can do thieving things. Right? We just want to protect ourselves from the thief. We want to make sure that the thief doesn't take our stuff and doesn't harm us in that way. And then when it happens, we're just so upset about all of our stuff that gets stolen. There's something about having something stolen from you that feels so exposed. You just feel so exploited and, and, and just so weird. You, you following me? Has anybody ever had something stolen from them? It's just icky. So the thief comes only to steal. But this particular thief comes only to steal, kill, and totally destroy. In this, Jesus is talking about two different types of thieves. He's talking about the thief, the main thief, the enemy, Satan himself, the one who is it's kind of the, 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 the instigator of all this. So he's talking about the big thief. He's talking about the big cheese. He's talking about the godfather of, of thievery. And then, because he's talking about himself being the gatekeeper and the good shepherd, He's saying that there have been those that have come before me that they were spiritual thieves. They tried to exploit you and manipulate you and they were false teachers and they were false leaders. And they didn't have your good in mind and they didn't have your guidance in mind and they didn't want to lead you in the right way and to the right place. They wanted to rob from you. And so the thief, the godfather, and I won't do the impression. I used to try to do one. Bonnie told me to stop doing that. And so... So, 
the Godfather, Satan himself, the thief, the liar, the Bible calls. I mean, the purveyor of robbery. He's talking about him, what his intentions are, and he's talking about those who are, 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 are about his agenda too. And sometimes that happens here on earth. And so at the end of the day, the thief, the Godfather, and those who would be used by him to steal and kill and destroy, they're life pickpockets. I was in New York City in 2001, just actually a couple of weeks before 9-11. Very eerie, very crazy being up there and then being back about two or three weeks in Virginia and then seeing all that play out. We were there doing several different types of ministry. One in particular was we were partnering with Manhattan Bible Church down in the lower end of Manhattan, and um, we were running a midnight basketball league for uh, inner city uh, kids. It was a blast. It was incredible. And it was an opportunity not only to help kids and teach them the game and and watch them compete and and learn a lot from sports, but it was an opportunity to share with them about Jesus. What was interesting is there was this guy that I worked with almost every night in volunteering, setting up, and then he and I ref the games and one particular game and then help help the kids in that way. And and I got to know him, knew he was a, a native New Yorker, and he knew I was a native Southerner. And so we we kind of had fun messing with each other and joking around and picking at each other and He's just an interesting guy. So one of the nights, we decided to, uh, to, to go to dinner before, and, and a bunch of us did. And, and I end up sitting on the end of the table with this guy, and I end up talking to him, and, hey, hey man, tell me your story. And, and he tells me, hey, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up in New York City. He said, um, I grew up in a tough neighborhood. He said, I, I primarily learned uh, on the street. And I learned how to be streetwise. And he said, for the better part of my life, I was not a good person. I was actually a terrible person. And he said, in fact, I was a thief. I said, really? Like, like you, you were a part of, you know, elaborate schemes to, to uh, you know, take things from people? Or did you break into houses? Or, uh, you know, did you, did you take things from businesses? Or did you go and rob convenience stores? You know, what did that look like? He goes, no, I was a pickpocket. Really? Tell me more, you know? Hmm. That's great. Start feeling around for your wallet, you know. It's like, you know, I know he said he loves Jesus now, but okay. Well, what was that like? He said it's, uh, he said obviously it's awful, but he said it's really actually kind of easy. And I said, why is it easy? So we're talking. He's like, tell me how you did this. And so he told me a little bit while we were eating, but then on the way to the subway to go back to Manhattan Bible Church, he started showing me how he would pick somebody's pocket. I'm like, show me how you do this. And I'm like this, I don't know what that says about me, but I was like, oh, tell me. <laughs> this is great. He said, like, you know, he's not really, what, you could tell he didn't want to talk about it. I was just bugging him. I was like, no, tell me, this is, this is fascinating. He said, well, it's all about distraction. He said, so if I'm walking down the street, and he pointed out a couple other people, and he said, that guy's on his phone, this guy's distracted over here, he's looking this way, or, so, so we target those people. So you target the people that seem less focused or, or more distracted at what they're doing. He said either, and if we don't mark anybody that looks distracted, we will cause the distraction. And I said, really? So it's like what you see in a movie, like you come up behind a guy and you like tap him on the shoulder and he kind of looks and you just, whoosh. he goes, yeah, something like that. And I was like, that's unbelievable. I was like, how could you? He said, I've taken watches off people's wrists while talking to them, taken, taken uh, wallets out of, out of pockets. 
taking bag off somebody, not even looking, not paying attention. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And that's what thieves do. They take things that aren't theirs, they rob, and they manipulate, and they steal, and they do it by using distraction. They're stealth. You know, thieves come in the night, as the saying goes, right? And they, they come when no one's looking. And some, some come in the middle of the day, like apparently has been happening in my neighborhood. But they go when nobody's looking, when everybody's distracted. And that's what the thief, the godfather of thieves, and what personal thieves do in our lives. They pick our pockets. They pick our life pocket. They manipulate and they steal from us, and they rob us, and they leave us without nothing sometimes. And they do it because we're so distracted. I have a friend named Daniel Henderson who, who says the enemy doesn't start by destroying us. He starts by distracting us. So he's, he's like the, he's a thief. So he's like the pickpocket. So he comes when you're not looking. He comes when you're not paying attention. He comes when you're distracted by something, when you're distracted by your own life and your own problems and your own issues and you're distracted by stuff you created and maybe some of it's stuff you didn't create. Distracted from God and from walking with him and from the wisdom that he gives us and from the understanding and from the life that he desires for us to live. So he doesn't necessarily have to start out by destroying us completely in one fell swoop Oftentimes, all he has to do is distract us from what we're supposed to be doing. And then he takes, and he takes, and he takes, and he takes. And the next thing you know, my life is alternately affected. My relationships are alternately affected. And certainly my spiritual life and my relationship with God and then my relationships with other people, my wife, my husband, my kids, my friends, my coworkers, all of that has been pillaged in such a way that it no longer represents a person who is following Christ. Because we've been stolen from us. Stripped away. Don't have it anymore. The thief came while we were distracted. While we were just walking down the street, not paying attention, and in a stealth way, and in a subtle way, and create a little diversion, take it from us. That's why Paul says in Colossians 2, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world. It comes from the thief who has no intention for you other than to rob from you, rob and pickpocket your life, and destroy you. That's his intention. He says, so don't listen to that. Don't be distracted by that. Don't be captured by that. He's using, he's using almost military terminology there to the, the church at Colossus where they lived in a, in, a, in a military town where a lot of old military officers retired and lived. And so they would understand that language. Don't, don't let that take you captive and control your life. He says, don't let that come from human thinking rather than from Christ. He's not the thief. He's the good shepherd. He's the gatekeeper. He desires good pastures for you, good places, good things. He desires for you to follow him and not get distracted in your life. He desires for life to happen here, the abundant life. 
So don't let this happen. He said, for you were buried with Christ and were baptized. I mean, you were, you were saved and, and you were buried in the likeness of Christ and baptized in the, with that great symbolism of his death, burial, and resurrection. You have been made a new person. You were raised to a new life. You were raised to be somebody different. You were raised to have this abundant life, and it looked different. Don't let the enemy and the thief take your life. Don't let him steal from you, kill, and destroy because you're distracted. If you pay attention to the voice of the good shepherd and the gatekeeper, I will keep you safe. He says, because you were raised in your life because you trusted the mighty power of God. That's what it is, right? It's trust. It's a trust issue. The mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. I don't know about you, but I'm more inclined to trust the power that raised Christ from the dead than my own. Because in my own, I often get distracted. And when I get distracted, all my stuff is gone. That is the thief's intention. Only to, only, only, only to kill, steal, and destroy. Steal, kill, and destroy. It's hard. It's harsh language, isn't it? He's not sugarcoating it at all. I I, want to say this to us. Because this, this ups the ante, but it also makes us more sober and more probably focused maybe. If you realize that your enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy you, then it might make you a little more sober and vigilant in your life and about your life and about what you're doing. If we get the picture that Satan and the powers of this world, as Paul says in Colossians, just wants to trip you up, just wants to make you mess up once, just wants to kind of get you a little frustrated, get you a little, little out of sorts, get you a little uncomfortable, you know. If, if we get the picture that Satan just, you know, he's just this, this little guy with a pitchfork, and he's just that little rascal, going to get me off with this little pitchfork, just annoying me today. If that's the picture that we have, then we have missed the true understanding of what his desire for our life is. The scriptures are clear. The desire for our life is total destruction. Hmm. So when I know that, and I understand that, and I, I live my life with that according to the power of God, which the Bible says raised Jesus from the dead, it's, it's pretty strong. Then I can get behind that, I can follow that, And I can avoid destruction here. Because he says, not only do I want you to have eternal life, I want you to have life now. When it says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly, this has a double meaning. And it implies that it gives us life or salvation beyond the grave But it also implies and teaches us that God wants us to have a full life in the here and now. Life happens here. And you can trust the good shepherd and the gatekeeper with your life because he's so powerful, he raised Jesus from the dead. 
So if, if that power is enacted into your life, which we know it is through Christ, did you know that? That you can fight off the Godfather who doesn't want to just poke at you. He wants to kill you. And he wants to destroy your life. You can fight him off. You cannot be pillaged by him. And then you can live an abundant, rich, full life in good places. Isn't that amazing how that works? It just seems like the, seems so easy. I mean, we have some salesmen in our church as well. There's some really great salesmen and managers here. I don't know if you'd have a, have a, have a hard time selling that. It almost seems like, hey, follow Christ. Life's good. Doesn't mean that it's going to be all puppies and kittens all the time and you're not going to go through hard times, but that's the beauty of following Christ. That in the middle of hard times, we have life. And we have peace and joy and hope. When we really shouldn't. That's what the shepherd does for us. He protects. He has no desire to harm you. He wants to help. And he not only wants to help you in the next life, as you spend eternity with him in his presence and in his glory, he wants to help you here in the here and now, it's a twofold meaning. So we know the thief's intention. Now we know the shepherd's intention, the gatekeeper's intention for us. This is a whole nother level. He wants us to live as believers on a whole nother level of life. I have a friend who says that's on a whole nother level. And when you read this passage from the authority and credibility of the mouth of God himself, from Christ when he says, I am your shepherd. I'm your gatekeeper, man. You can trust me. Lady, you can trust me. The thief only wants to destroy you. But I got the power to keep you from being destroyed. So you got to listen and know my voice. You got to follow me. And you got to stay focused. Because as soon as you get distracted, he's going to take it from your life. Because that's what he wants. But if you'll trust me and you'll live in this power, it's not going to always be perfect, but it'll be abundant. It'll be beyond what you can imagine on your own. It's a whole nother level. I wrote this down. I'll share it with you. I see this in, sometimes in my own life. I see it around us. I read that email this week and thought, man, shoof, gosh, thankful for the honesty. But man, don't you just want to live for something more sometimes? Whether it be church or just in your life. I mean, I mean really, don't you want to live on that level? And, and I just think sometimes we just settle so much for mediocrity. And we're so okay with being average. And we're okay with being average in our families and in our marriages and in our lives. And, and especially we are way okay with being average at church and in the Christian community. And when it comes to serving God, we're, we're totally fine with that. In fact, that might be the thing that we're more average at than anything else. We're great at our jobs. We're great at playing, great at sports, great at entertainment, great at doing what we want to do. Really terribly average at serving God. But oftentimes, we're just, we're just average at a lot of things. And we're okay with that. And for the believer, I just don't know. I can't find in the scriptures 
Now, God's not asking us to transcend our personality or some of our circumstances, but he is asking us to live on another level because he says, I will help you live there. That's what I desire for you, an abundant life. If you'll follow me, you'll listen to me, you'll read my word, you'll pay attention. You won't fall into these traps. You won't ruin your life. You won't be stolen from. You won't lose your family. You won't lose your marriage. You won't be the wrong kind of person. You won't be a terrible friend. You'll contribute beautifully and powerfully to the kingdom of God. That's what he desires for us. And I think we just settle so much for mediocrity in our society and average life, average stuff, and average things, and certainly an average pursuit of Jesus. And so I wrote this down. The abundant life, this principle, this very simple principle, bring, should bring insight to us so that we know, hey, we don't have to be average. We can actually be better than average. We can live on a whole nother level because of the gatekeeper, because of the shepherd, because of his power that raised Christ from the dead in our lives. It can look different in everything that we do. Bring insight to that and passion to that. When you, when you have insight and understanding, it gives you more passion. Man, college football started this weekend. How many times, if you watched any of the games, how many times did you hear a commentator say, man, oh, this kid's really young. The more he learns the offense or the defense, the better he'll be able to play faster and with more power and be more effective. How many times you hear that? You hear it all the time. Same is true in life. When you have a greater understanding of the heart of God, greater understanding of what he desires for you, and a greater understanding of how he wants you to live your life, you have a greater passion and you play faster. You play on another level. And guess what it does? It keeps us from living and existing and dying in this mediocrity or doing just enough to get by so that the Godfather will leave me alone. And therefore, it keeps us from shrugging our shoulders. This is the thing that just breaks my heart, I think. Shrugging our shoulders at what we should be excited about. And what should be exciting. Have you noticed this? We're, we live in the meh culture. Meh. Hey, man, God's doing some stuff in my life. I want to share it with you. Meh. Hey, he changed my life. Going to go be a part of this church plant. Gonna, gonna give my life to a don't know what it's gonna look like. Got a bald pastor. He's weird. He, he, he talks in funny voices sometimes. They meet in a gym that smells. Uh, meh. Hey, man, want to tell you that, that, that I made some decisions in my life that, that were really being harmful to me. They were being harmful to me personally. And I was, I was man, I was getting distracted or whatever really changed my life. Meh. I want to sacrifice. I, I want to be faithful to, to the body, to the community, to, I don't know, show up every once in a while. Meh. Life change. Things that are exciting and good and beautiful. We share those things and it's a meh. Because we're just so okay with being average and mediocre. And it's become the backdrop of our entire life and everything we do. And therefore, because of that, we, we treat God's movement in our lives, these things that are supernatural and powerful and unbelievable, and we can't explain them outside of him as, meh. And, and this is where I think we all, the thief 
all gets us. And it stops us from looking at excellence as a threat. Ever notice that? We're, we're so doggone average and so mediocre that when we do see excellence, we criticize it. We knock it down. Everybody, there's a death of expertise in our world. No one, I mean, everybody's got a voice. And 99% of them should not be talking, ever, about anything, about bird cages. Just stop. You're not going to see me write a blog on quantum physics. Or, or on anything I don't understand. And it's a lot of things I don't understand. But we, we, the expertise and knowledge and excellence is so devalued in our culture, especially in the body of Christ, especially in the church, that when we see someone wanting to give full effort, someone wanting to live on a whole other level, someone wanting to be excellent, someone wanting to hold us to a higher standard of Christ, we're like, I hate that. I scorn it. I don't want anything to do with it. I criticize it. What's wrong with him? And then we're threatened by it. You ever been made fun of because you care about something? It's a shame that that is becoming more normal in our society. And it's a shame that it's penetrated the church. And now living for Jesus is meh at, at least and a threat at worst. It's amazing. And we wonder, why is the Western world losing the gospel? Why are we losing our culture? Why is the gospel just flourishing in the East, in countries where is it illegal to own a Bible, but yet the gospel is just exploding? We wonder, because we're just so doggone average and mediocre, and we're okay with it. When the God of the universe sent his son to die for us, save us, Set us apart to live this life, an abundant life on a whole nother level. So that we can do that with focus. So that we're not pillaged by the enemy who wants to rob and kill and destroy our entire existence. It's amazing, isn't it? So here's what I would like to throw out before we go. Shorter sermon, I go. I know a lot of you are rejoicing inside. The... This is what God desires for us. Have you ever gotten curious riding down the road or anytime you've ever come in here or anytime you've ever been in a home with another group of believers or people that just kind of get it? Have you ever had the thought cross your mind, what would it really look like if a bunch of people just got together and through the power of God lived on a whole nother level? Man, what would that look like for our city? What would that look like for our state, our world? What would that look like for this little church, man? Look, it's not a metric thing. If you're brand new today, I, I don't stand up here and talk about numbers. I, I care about those things because they're representative in you. You are a person. You are people. I love you. And hopefully you, you care about me and my family. So that, that's the only time. But, it, but if it literally, this is it. If this stays just like this, that, that's more than okay. If all of us are living the abundant life that Christ died for and on a whole nother level and none of us are okay with being average all the time and mediocre, especially when it comes to following Jesus. Man, I, I, 
It's fine if we could get them all in my living room. It'd be fine. I just, I just want to be a part and I want to contribute as a follower of Jesus to a passionate community of people who love Christ, are not perfect, need his grace and forgiveness, need it every moment of every day, but are willing to stay focused on his wisdom, his truth, his word, his guidance as the good shepherd to help us live this abundant life here, now. And then just roll the dice and see what he can do with us all. I'm just so curious I'm so passionate, I'm so excited about the mere thought or the idea or the fact that it could ever happen. It it really gets me going in an incredible way, as you can probably tell. But there's a truth that comes along with this that we must represent, a truth that we must represent, that if this is true of us, and this is what Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our Christ, said about us, then guys, at the end of the day, practically speaking, no one should express more joy, abundance, and passion for life than a follower of Jesus. No one. We should stand out and stick out in society in such a way that the expression of how we live our life is attractive to the lost world and encouraging to the person who walks the same. You got to represent we can't represent if we're average, mediocre, and the enemy is just pilling us because we're so distracted. He's tapping us on the shoulder over here, taking our watch off our wrist over here, taking the wallet out. Next thing you know, you're naked walking down the street. And you're like, what happened? I'm exposed. My life's over. This and that. It happens so subtly and that yet so quickly. It's not what he desires for us. It's not easy, but it's worth it. Hebrews 12. How do we do this? How do we do it? Hebrews 12, same way Jesus did it. He gave us an example and he gives us the power through him. Hebrews 12 too says, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion. Oh, don't you just want to be a champion? Doesn't everybody just want to be a champion? Oh, you Clemson fans, you just want to be a champion. Feeling it this year. I'm not feeling it. I'm a South Carolina grad. But I want to be a champion I just want so bad. I want to win. You want to win. We all want to win, man. And so you know what? We have a champion who fights for us. We have a champion who's gone before us. We we have a champion who's greater than all. He he obliterates all greatest champions that ever live. We do this by keeping our eyes on him. He initiated. He, the Bible says he loved us first. He didn't love him first. The Bible says that no one does good, none seeks after God. He, he pursued us. Aren't you glad? He initiates and perfects our faith. But watch this. Watch what Jesus did. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. And oh, it was shameful. Now he is seated in a place of honor beside God's throne. That's how we do it. They live on a whole nother level. They make a difference in your work and in your home and in the world. And certainly when you come together with a bunch of us collected, man, imagine the, the, the kind of power and the level we can live on when we're all together collectively. It's, it's unstoppable. It's an unstoppable force. It is the abundance of life. Don't be average because you don't serve an average God. 
And you weren't provided with an average savior. You were given a champion. General Omar Bradley, famous general, said this about life and the abundance of living it here. This is true in everyday life as it is in battle. We are given one life. And the decision is ours whether to wait for circumstances to make up our mind or whether to act and in acting to live. Get busy living or get busy dying. I don't know about you. I want to live. God.